So it's feeling very, very nice, very lovely in here, actually. I was just noticing that, um, and that kind of made me aware that I've been, I, I keep feeling concerned that people would feel quite claustrophobic. And yet it feels like the, the space has actually expanded somehow to allow all of us to fit. Um, in a really, really lovely way. And so I'd like to um, explore more this evening um, something that Nathan touched on um, yesterday. And he spoke about the fact that um, the state of, of what we're calling the chitta. precisely accurate, um, translated as heart-mind. But if it's easier, we can just translate it as state of mind or mind state. So that the cheetah, the state of the cheetah affects how we look at experience. which affects perception, which actually affects what we perceive. And of course, the state of the cheetah itself is then influenced and affected by many, many other conditions. Actually, countless conditions. So, you know, things that are obvious to us, like the body, You know, whether we're tired or hungry or have just done, you know, some yoga or qigong. <laughs> All of this will affect our chitta state. Uh, things like the weather. I maybe had a sense of this today and if not, invited to explore. Our personal history, our habits, our patterns, even things like um, genetic disposition. (laughs) Actually affect the, the state of the mind and the heart right now in this moment. So with that, in the practice here, we're both um, really interested in opening to this conditioned nature of experience. At the same time, you know, it would be quite a, um, a hopeless task trying to identify every single condition. <laughs> And then, you know, trying to neutralize them. 
which, you know, something that can come up and, and maybe that's already coming up for us. So we're, we're interested in the fact that things are conditioned and in seeing some of the conditions that are at play. Which kind of supports us to see a, a wider picture. So we can we can reframe it and say, you know, that the practice is um, to have interest. And what is arising in our experience and what is underlying that. And cultivating um, sensitivity. Things like the body and the mind state are really, really helpful. They're like doorways to understanding. If I become more sensitive to what is the state of the mind, what is happening in the body. I can then pay attention to how perception is being affected. And that's where the insight and the investigation come in. And this really, um, really supports us to kind of loosen the, the grip of this um, belief that we have. In the solidity of things. Yeah. Really helps loosen that. So I had a, a little uh, example of that just a um, very short while ago. So I came to dinner and there was a queue, you know, out the door. And I don't like queues. <laughs> so over my, you know, many, um, probably years by now of doing retreats, I've got strategies to avoid queues. <laughs> <laughs> but I hadn't employed any of them so there I was and there was a queue <laughs> and I was paying attention so I, I could notice that uh, there's a queue there's the event and here's the habit response of like oh I don't like this And the pull to just, okay, so I'll just go and wait somewhere until the queue's gone. And there was enough um, presence and, and interest in the experience to actually, um, instead of following that pull, that habit, to actually engage. So, so I, I joined the queue. And I was actually really interested in the experience, which immediately shifts, or shifted in that case. It's not doesn't always work that quickly. <laughs> so then there was actual interest in what was going on. 
that pleasantness in standing with other really, um, you know, energetically wonderful people. Very kind of, yeah, just really present, really open. And just standing. You know, just like any other meditation. As I got closer to the kitchen, I stopped to look at that fantastic parsley plant. With the fantastic parsley. The <laughs> Which I'm, you know, deeply in love with. And right there in it was this incredible insect. Uh, probably about this big, bright green, very intricate. And then it had all these colorful parts as well, which I'm going to describe in detail. <laughs> it had this really pink part on its back with black dots. And then a, a, a fine yellow line along the the, be, the 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 bottom of the of the belly and so I was really grateful to the queue because if I had used any of my regular strategies <laughs> I would have arrived there wouldn't have been a queue and I would have walked straight in And I would have missed that moment and that meeting. What I, I couldn't resist the telling you about the insect, but that's actually not the main point. <laughs> What was, what's really interesting in, in this example for me is how um, the mind affects experience. So the habitual mind state that's, asso that's associated with a cue, in this case is aversion, if it's not seen and investigated, it would lead to an unpleasant experience of cueing. In this case, seeing it and having enough space to not get hooked, not get caught up, and a mind state of openness created a pleasant experience of being in the queue. So this is quite, quite important, so I just want to make sure that it's clear. Yeah. So in, in Buddhist terminology, this is called fabrication. So it's the way the, the mind state, or it's not just mind states, actually, or the mind actually impacts our experience, impacts what we experience. And so what is going on for us in the perceiver has an effect on what is perceived.
And I've just remembered this, you know, in, in modern um, research, they've also come to the conclusion that there's no um, objective or impartial experimentation or results. So the presence of an observer, even if what they're observing is a chemical process or bacteria growing in a, in a dish, presence of an observer has an effect on what is being observed. And for us, this is really interesting. For me, it's really interesting. I hope I'm going to get you interested too. It's really interesting. It opens up a huge range of possibilities. for freedom and um, for happiness. So, to bring it back into what we're actually doing here. So we've been practicing primarily techniques that support mindfulness and samatha, the calming and the gathering of the being. And these increase our capacity to see what is going on. Yeah, the, the less activity there is in the mind, the more we can see what is present. The more we can attend, you know, bring kind attention to what is present. And then we can bring the insight um, the interest, the investigation, ways of looking. To look more deeply, yeah, more deeply and more widely at what is arising, at, at the experience itself. So we can look um, externally, things that are external and affect us. <coughs> We can look internally. And both of these can take us beyond the personal story. And I'll say more about that hopefully as, as we go. So another way of saying this, how to bring this interest, can be a really simple question. What can I learn? <laughs> yeah, really simple. Doesn't have to come with any complicated Pali words <laughs> that are difficult to translate. <laughs> but just the question, what can I learn? Which is, in my experience, a much more crucial um, attitude, much more important than getting a certain experience that we think we should be getting. So I want to kind of follow on with another personal story, <laughs> example, which will hopefully um, 
also kind of bring us more into this question of what can I learn, what can I see. So yesterday afternoon, um, after having a siesta, I was walking to have a shower. And I knew there was a wasp nest there. But I didn't know that I shouldn't walk in through this gate. <laughs> and I was pretty dopey, so I wasn't paying that much attention. And uh, I got stung by a wasp. And, you know, I was... There's many, many interesting things about this experience. The first one was, you know, I was quite dopey, but as soon as that sting happened, <laughs> there was crystal clear mindfulness. <laughs> you know, there was, there was a sharp pain, and the attention was really... Um, pulled to that pain. There was enough, even though I was dopey from my siesta, <laughs> there was enough resource of calmness and gatheredness of attention to observe the experience. So I could actually pay attention to the sensations, choose to pay attention to the sensations, and also pay attention to the, to the responses and the reactivity that followed. So, you know, very, very sharp pain, and then the, the response, the, the reactivity of wanting the pain to go away. So I could, I could see it, even like just with the, the hand wanting to come and touch, touch the painful place, as if, you know, that would make it go away. <laughs> and then the thoughts, you know, going to, oh, I should put this cream on it and that cream on it. <coughs> you know, last time I got stung by an insect, it really got really swollen. So some of it, some of this was useful, but a lot of what was underlying was that pushing away, the wanting it to go away. So trying to get rid of, or the other face of that, trying to get some control over the situation. So this was one thing that was going on. But there was also still a real interest in the actual experience. So I, was, I continued to walk to the shower. And I was um, paying attention both to the sensations. And I was also looking at the, at the insect bite. And seeing how, the, how my, my, um, my wrist was changing. Which was really, um, 
really interesting. And as I was doing that, it was really opening to this changeability of experience or impermanence, inconstancy. It's got a lot of names. <laughs> so the pain itself is changing. It's not just one thing. The skin is changing. Yeah, different parts are changing color. There's different parts are swelling. And what was really interesting to see was that just staying with watching that impermanence, staying at contact with the seeing and with the feeling of the sensations, The physical discomfort was not a problem. <laughs> it's really, this is really important. The physical discomfort was not a problem. And the experience actually included beautiful moments. So I don't recommend going near the wasp nest. <laughs> at all <laughs> but just to use these kind of situations and, and to observe what happens when we bring interest you know my sense was that if someone had um, you know brought a, made a video close video of, of the change in around the sting and on the skin could be, become quite popular on YouTube as a very beautiful <laughs> nature <laughs> thing. You know, because it was really beautiful. Without the label of problem. So, the question that arise, arises from this investigation is where is the suffering in the discomfort of a wasp sting? You know, we can do a play on words and say, where is the sting in the sting? Yeah. Oh, difficult to translate. <laughs> yeah. So where, where is the suffering, actually? If it's if it's possible, you know, and I'm you know I'm not some kind of um, Buddha. So if it's possible for an ordinary human being to bring interest to an unpleasant experience and actually have moments of beauty in there, and certainly moments of non-problem. So if that's possible, then what, where is the suffering? What is actually causing the suffering that we would normally experience without the interest? Does this question make sense to people? Okay. 
And it's a really, really important question. Essentially, the question the, the Buddha was asking. <laughs> and, you know, the, the one he discovered the answer to. <laughs> so, you know, we've got something to aspire to. So when we, when we look, and I'm really inviting you to explore this in your own experience. So when there's moments of discomfort or unpleasantness, to, to, bring, to, to look at the impermanence and to bring in also this question of, you know, where is the suffering in this? What is, what is the root of the suffering in this? And what becomes, um, what shows itself in this, in this looking is that a lot of the suffering is in the contraction or in the clinging. It's another way of saying it. Yeah. So in this kind of Clinging to being sting-free, <laughs> yeah, not having the pain. And so, when we're able to just stay at contact with the experience. to look at how it changes. Um, this reduces the escalation, the build-up. The build-up of the clinging, the build-up of the contraction. And the build-up of dukkha, of, discomfort, of unhappiness, discomfort, suffering. You can translate it as you like. <laughs> yeah. <coughs> so another way of saying this, or another way of looking at this, would be to just reduce the struggle against the experience, whatever that experience is. So if we use if I stay with this example of the of the wasp instead of going into a lot of stories about you know why did I why was I not more mindful why did I walk in through the gate I wasn't supposed to <laughs> just accepting that it's not also possible in life to avoid stings to avoid um, moments of discomfort, to avoid getting sick or cold, to avoid getting older. <laughs> so 
Just again, just bringing that in. And really starting to see that when there's less contraction, and these are all ways of lessening the contraction. Less contraction, less build-up of the sense of self. Less taking things personally. You know, the major event that's just happened at half past two in the afternoon in the world is Zohar got stung by a wasp. (laughs) Taking things a little bit less personally. All of this decreases the amount of suffering. Both in the moment... And as we cultivate this over time, then also in future moments. The more we see it in our experience, the more able we are to apply it later, again. So, I very, I just want to point this out. I won't go into this into too much detail. In what I just said, I touched on um, what the Buddha called the three marks or characteristics of existence. Impermanence, um, dukkha, suffering, and... Um, a non-personal sense of self, maybe. And I'm just mentioning them here because we'll be going into them a lot more over the next days. And maybe just to say that we're interested in them, not as um, kind of absolute truths, you know, that this is the truth about life. That everything is impermanent, that dukkha is part of the human condition, and that um, there is no separate self. So we're not interested in them as absolute truths. We're interested in them as doorways to freedom. So there's something that we can intentionally bring in to our uh, meeting with life. We can bring them in as... um, something that we've kind of said a few times is ways of looking. Yeah, so I'll say a little bit more about ways of looking. I think Nathan also mentioned this yesterday. So ways of looking, these... um, filters that we look at experience through. Mm. 
So a current mind state will be one way of looking. Habits, patterns will be a way of looking. Habits or, um, or patterns that we have, strong patterns, will be a way of looking. There's always um, a way of looking that's active, that's present. Recently heard from, from someone who also uses this um, ways of looking approach. And uh, I think she was a preschool or a primary school teacher. So she's into visual aids. So she comes into a Dharma talk with a whole bunch of, um, of, of pairs of glasses. <laughs> and when she's explaining this, she says, you know, this is the way of looking, this pair of glasses we put on. And that'll be the way of looking of aversion. Or the... Or in this pair will be the way of looking of um, seeing things as solid and unchanging. And this pair will be the way of looking of if I'm suffering, then it's my fault. Yeah, and this way, this pair will be you know the way of looking of you know I'm a solid, separate self. And it's a really helpful image for me. Just <laughs> know that we're constantly, we actually each have this infinite collection of glasses <laughs> that we're constantly putting on and taking off. We tend to have favorites even if we don't like them. <laughs> They're the ones that we usually, that we tend to put on more often. So part of what we're interested in exploring and, and seeing is what, is, what, are, what are my habitual ways of looking? And then how can I bring some flexibility and more creativity? You know, what happens if I pick up a pair of glasses that I almost never use. So there's a great story that really, um, really um, manifests this, or a really great example of this of this way of looking and how it works. And a couple of you have heard it on the Yatra. So apologies that you're hearing it again. I just love it. <laughs> so this is a story from a Jesuit um, priest uh, working in LA. Um, in a very, in very, very poor um, areas of Los Angeles, and 
this particularly particular um, story takes place um, after the U.S. government makes a reform in the immigration law. It might sound familiar, but this is actually from 1987. <laughs> and so um, the church becomes a sanctuary for uh, what they're calling undocumented people, people who haven't, haven't got legal documents. And because they haven't got legal documents, they're homeless. And so they turn the, ter- the church into a sanctuary um, for, these, for these people, and there's about a hundred of them sleeping in the church every night. And so um, he's, he's speaking about how the, uh, because there's a hundred men, men sleeping there every night, there's a certain smell in the church. And people who are coming to Sunday service every Sunday are starting to complain that there's this smell. And so um, the priests decide together that they're actually going to address it during Sunday Mass. And so here's what they do. So um, the priest, you know, is standing in front of the congregation and he asks them a question. He says to them, what does the church smell like? And he says, you know, people are really mortified by the question. So everyone's kind of looking down. No one wants to answer. But he perseveres. He says, come on, come on now. What does the church smell like? So eventually an old man who doesn't really care what people think of him responds. And he says, it smells like feet. So the priest says, excellent. But why does it smell like feet? So a woman answers, because many homeless men slept here last night. And the priest responds back and says, well, you know, why do we let that happen here? And another person in the congregation answers, because that's what we've committed to do. And the question comes back, well, why would anyone commit to do that? And someone else responds, because it's what Jesus would do. And so then he asks them again. And he says, okay, so what does the church smell like now? And a man stands up and bellows. It smells like commitment. And the whole congregation cheers. 
and a woman stands up waving her arms wildly. And she says, it smells like roses. And the packed church roars with laughter and a newfound kinship that embraced someone else's odor as their own. Embraces someone else's smell as their own. The stink, the smell in the church hadn't changed. Only how the people saw it. So the actual experience, the actual smell hadn't changed. What changed is how the people saw it. Or we can say what changed is how they were looking. What way of looking was in operation? What pair of glasses were they using? So aligning with intention changes the way of looking. And this is what the priest was helping the congregation to do. He's not telling them what to think or feel. He's just bringing them back to the reason they come to church, actually. You know, which is compassion and generosity. So that coming back to seeing that this is not just my church. Really um, open something up. Like we can see laughter and joy from a problem becomes a source of well-being. And this is something that we all know in our experience. This flexibility and malleability that the mind has. We all know this, we just tend to forget. And then we need to be reminded, just like the priest was reminding. So this flexibility, this malleability of the mind, remembering that, supports freedom. and supports us to practice in ways that actually increase the flexibility of the mind. And increase our um, capacity to remember that the mind is flexible. So whatever is arising in our experience, 
isn't the end of the road. It's not the final destination. We can bring interest with kindness, with gentleness, with humor. And we can explore what it means to be a human being. So the last thing I'd really, um, I'd like to say is to remind all of us that our practice is an act of kindness. And we forget that. We need to come back to that again and again. That this practice is an act of kindness towards ourselves, towards this group that's here together, and towards all beings. And that is something to come back to and, and to enjoy also. So let's just have a moment of silence together to, to close. So thank you for your presence and your listening. And we have half an hour for some walking practice. And we'll meet back here for the metta meditation to close the day. So remember kindness and enjoy. <clears throat> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.